Hey there, welcome to Cageless, a conversation podcast about experiential wisdom and personal hope. I'm Jenny Johnson. I'm a writer, and I'm asking experts, thought leaders, and my friends to share their knowledge and tools on how they found freedom. Welcome to season one. Today is a very special day because I am talking to a very special person. Um, She holds so much wisdom, and she's an expert and advocate for something I care deeply about um, and I think is a pillar for humans here on this planet. This is Victoria, and I am unreasonably excited to talk to her. Victoria, how are you? I'm doing really fantastically. Thank you so much for asking. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and where you came from? I am Victoria, um, as you've mentioned, and I am essentially a spiritual advisor, spiritual mentor who's very centered on you, not me as your spiritual teacher. I'm just kind of like the backup support, (laughs) the secretary of anything. Mm. Um, And I kind of fell into this role due to my background in um, kind of my life story where I was born in Hong Kong. I've lived in six countries. I've attended international schools my entire life. And so I really had this diverse background and understanding of differences in people in ways of thinking in our the way that we perceive our identities, the way we perceive each other. And that kind of entered my academic career as well, by which I was studying international studies, philosophy and religion, and then went on to study uh, political science for my grad school uh, program. And all of this time was just this accumulation of understanding more deeply the concepts of culture and identity. And that is something I feel is so important when it comes to doing spiritual work by which we try to expand as much as we can through philosophy and then apply it um, in our in our daily practice of entering the unknown. Wow. We, we are going to have to cap this. We're going to talk for forever. <laughs> um, you say that you were born in Hong Kong. How, how did that come to – are your parents originally from there? Yes. Both my parents grew up on the main Hong Kong island, uh, born and raised. Hong Kong is actually – I got to keep this short, but Hong Kong is actually a island of immigrants. It was originally a small fishing village until the British kind of took it over and it kind of ballooned in population and size. Um, It has a population now of 7 million. When it first started, it was like a few thousand people. Um, And so most of the people that came to Hong Kong were immigrants. Um, My father's side was from the mainland, from China. And then my mom's side... um, They've been in Hong Kong for a while. She had a few generations, but the there was a bit of a mix of uh, European immigrants and stuff. So I'm actually like a fourth generation mixed person. Um, okay. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Yeah. Um, That's the uh, the mix of like East versus West. And growing up as a mixed person in Asia compared to being a mixed person in like the states, it's a completely different kind of um, uh, perspective. So many different uh, – I, I always say that, like, you're a product of everywhere that you've been and everyone that you've met. And you are just, like, what – so, so vast, so vast in terms of, like, your your exposure to people and places. So in terms of you, – you seem to be very interested in humans, right? Like, you the the subject of, like, 
why we're here, who we are, and kind of like dissecting that, right? So when did that interest start to peak for you? So that interest started to peak for me, I think, between my freshman year and my sophomore year in undergrad. I was very lost. I had started off as a history major. And then all of a sudden I was like, I want to, I I was born and raised Catholic and I did not, um, I didn't identify very well with the religion. So I thought to myself, maybe if I study my way into my religion, I'll, I'll finally get it. Maybe there's something Mm -hmm. missing there that I'll be like, ah, yes, this, this is the part that I was missing. And, you know, when you're in, u- in university, you have like that person that oh, it's like, it's kind of like a guidance counselor, but for university, I think it is a counselor, right? I think so. Something like that. But well, I, this man, I have never loved a human being more than this man. He, he really loved every single person that came in through that door. And I remember sitting with him and he was, he was talking to me about my life and things and goes, you know, Victoria, he goes, this why don't you just take international studies? Because it's kind of accumulation of who you are, but like in a major. <laughs> and you were like, so true. I, it, it took me a second. I was like, oh my God, there's, I can study myself. Yes. And all that it took was like one guy just like echoing back what you said to him because you can't be your own coach. You can't yeah. be your own counselor. Yeah. The more you, know? you allow yourself to be perceived and the more that you allow yourself to put yourself out there to meet people. Um, I never identified, by the way, as an as a people person until last year, which is really hilarious because I've been doing the exact same thing my whole life. And it comes down to identity, right? Um, you know, when, when I started to kind of realize that I was like, oh, that's kind of why I've been able to expand my my understanding of uh, people and the universe and all of these things because I'm allowing myself to be perceived. And being perceived isn't just like put yourself on the internet, right? Being perceived can also be the little things like not being afraid that you going up to a person that you're seeing on the street or in the grocery store and, and not, not worrying too much about what they think about you. Obviously, you know, don't go up to someone to tell them you hate their shoes, but to allow yourself to make those connections and not worry too much about someone judging you in a in a negative perception. And I think you you saying being perceived, I think that that kind of also comes from, for lack of better terms, confidence in who you are. I hate how all the cliches are true, but it's like going into confidence is like going into a room. It's not that will they like me? It's like do I like me? And like do I do I stand by what what I say? It's a, it's an integrity thing. And the more that you are willing to be perceived and show up, which like, you know, Miss Brene Brown always says, like, get into the arena being vulnerable, the more that you're probably going to learn, the more that you are going to be exposed to different experiences because why else are you on this earth, guys? Like, why, why, uh, isn't it kind of like boring to like hoard yourself? Like, why are you gatekeeping yourself? And in terms of identity, as you were dissecting kind of, oh, this is what I've been taught in terms of like Catholicism um, and spirituality and things that you'd been exposed to, you started to study and be interested in what do I believe? What am I about to teach myself or what can I possibly learn? Um, and what did you what did you come about? Where is your where is your mind at in terms of like religion now? 
my terms of where I am in religion now is actually this deep, profound love for it in a way that is kind of like, okay, it's not for me, but I absolutely can learn something from every single religion or belief system that I come across. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so interesting because a lot of people within the spiritual communities, especially in the West, have a lot of anger, pain, and resentment towards their Christian upbringings. Because right. a lot of people are transitioning from Christianity to spirituality. And it's borderless, right? But there's a lot of comfortability in staying in that Christian box. And so a lot of that, ironically, in spite of the hating the Christianity, they kind of start to adapt little pieces from it to try to apply it to spirituality. But spirituality doesn't have a box, right? So what happens is instead of hating Christianity, I kind of decided to dissect it and kind of allow myself to space away from it so that I can still appreciate the teachings and, you know, little things about it, but not hold anything against it. And I think that's really important to not hold anything against it because love it or hate it, it still, it still resonates with you, right? Because if you hate it, it's always on your mind. If you love it, it's always in your heart. And I don't think that any type of belief system is worth having unless it's, it holds up to your questions and it holds up to you taking the filter off and you being able to be like, was it, do I believe this because I was taught this or do I believe this because I actually believe it? And I love what you said about religion being borders uh, because I – on a personal standpoint, I was raised a Christian and then kind of came back um, to it and formed it myself. Um, and I ended up working in vocational Christian ministry, um, working in an evangelical church. I went to seminary um, and I dropped out because there were a lot of things that I disagreed with on a like fundamental level as a young adult. And I was like, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like how people are being treated. And I don't like, I do not like <laughs> working for a place where like God is thanked for parking garages, but not confronted for the Holocaust. You know what I mean? I don't want to say like I figured it out on my own, but I left that church. I left that life, but I didn't leave God. Like God still lives within me and he's still here. And I have been um, so – it's been the adventure of like my life thus far is falling in love with Jesus again in a way that doesn't have to do with lights and sounds and Instagram posts and, you know, sneakers and preachers. So in terms of Christianity or religion or spirituality, what do you believe is the – like if it were a Venn diagram – what do you believe are the similarities and the differences and why are they important? Like why, why is it important, do you believe, to have a belief system? Oh, I love this. I really believe that the most fundamental component of any belief system comes down to hope. It comes down to that, you know, even in Christianity, I've noticed there's also a lot of calling you into the present moment as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a little bit more subtle and you have to really pay attention and listen. It's funny. So the past, the past year I was living with my aunt and uncle who are very, very Catholic. 
And as a part of the requirement of living with them, I had to go to church every Sunday. And one of the most beautiful realizations I kind of came to was understanding that Jesus Christ embodies the energy of compassion. Mm -hmm. And so even if we don't identify with Christianity, we can identify with compassion. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of other things, but, you know, compassion and empathy are components of love, right? And I think they're very important pillars of love. And without, um, without empathy, can there be love? Mm, I don't think so. And empathy is also a learned skill. So if that is the case, love is also a skill. Yeah. With that, right? One of I think religion is one of these unusual um, ways that obviously now it's kind of a lot of different religions have gotten a bit contorted by certain leaders and just the way in this rigidity of like, this is how your religion has to be. Mm -hmm. But when it started off, the whole idea was to treat others like you would treat yourself, like you would want yourself to be treated, right? And it's funny because when I was studying comparative religions, that was kind of the pillar lesson in every single religion, treat others the way that you want to be treated. And there's mm -hmm. always a different phrase, just slightly different, but it, that was the same one. And that is that is empathy, right? That is compassion, right? Looking at someone else and being like, okay, would I want to be treated that way? Would I want to be? Right. Uh, probably not. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And you would think it's a simple lesson, but it's complex because human beings are complex. Yes. We're so yes. complicated. <laughs> right, right. And I do think that in terms of Christianity, which which like I said, I'm I'm a seminary dropout, so I didn't finish, but like Christianity and studying the religions that I am um aware of, I do think that you saying that like empathy is the common commonality there. As a young person in our culture today in 2022, I don't know. I get on, you know, we look at our phones and I'm like, where's the freaking love, guys? Like, everyone is so angry all of the time. Like, why we watch the news or like we hear someone being canceled or we, there's, there's so little hope. And I think that just like a fire, the more that you feed into it, the more that you engage with it the more it becomes your reality. You know, like, uh, is it Buddha that it's like, uh, whatever you think becomes real? And I might be butchering that. I'll have to, I'll have to receive okay. myself. But that's the thing is like, it seems to me that feeding into hate breeds hate. So I don't think that we are serving ourselves until we start to deconstruct, until we start to look at, hey, like, maybe if like I'm unhappy or maybe if I don't like the way that the world is working, maybe I should look at, I don't know, the thousands of people in years before me of people also asking the same questions and maybe figuring it out for myself. So like if you don't like your world, why are you not changing it? At least your internal world, why are you not why are you not giving it a shot? And you know, this is to be taken with a grain of salt because you and I both know people that have been hurt by religion and spirituality and belief practices, but you look at philosophers, you look at Prop people who claim to be prophets, most of them, and unless you know, on a heretical realm, they were like aiming for hatred. But we're not talking about Hitler here. <laughs> um, most of them were aiming towards betterment, and if they weren't, I would assume you should probably, you know, may maybe close that book. But uh, yeah, I think that that that's that's really really cool that you decided to instead of you know, just taking like what you'd been taught and throwing it away and becoming very apathetic and un, uninterested that you decided to 
maybe just like look inside and like look outside too because whenever you can whenever you can admit like there are other people that have also been asking the same questions as me maybe they were on to something i think it it comes down to this concept of life purpose right a lot of us are constantly searching for meaning and i kind of learned that your life purpose is not something that you that you discover right now and move forward from now on to the future it's something that you've always been yeah and That's the good. one constant, the one constant throughout my entire life, through all of these experiences, the, the the ups and downs and the lefts and rights, and it was through my 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 pains, my sufferings. Mm-hmm. Right when we were talking, when you mentioned uh, a lot of hate going around, right with the internet, I kind of learned that that hatred comes from my disdain for myself. And then seeing that in others and everything else around me Mm. and wanting so badly to change things, but feeling so powerless and hopeless that the only way I can communicate is through hatred and through fueling more fire and creating more problems because people who suffer cause more suffering. So true. I've learned this. I've learned this even now on my spiritual path as I really feel myself progressing. I still notice that in my suffering, I'm still causing suffering. And Mm -hmm. that's a really complex thing to grasp when you're going through the suffering and you're like, okay, I'm really suffering right now. And I'm causing all these, these things around me to kind of fall apart as I'm trying to fix my situations, but chicken and the egg. Yeah. You will find that in cycle suffering kind of becomes a cycle. It's like a little, like a twister tornado or something. You have to break the pattern and it's not about you don't necessarily have to start with everybody outside of you. Sometimes mm-hmm. it starts from just within. Mm-hmm. We really strongly underestimate the power that we have within. That's so true. And I have been reading this nonstop in so many different books. There's a really fantastic book called The Courage to be Disliked by Ichiro Kashimi and Fumitage Koga. There's obviously Be Here Now by Ram Das. There he is, the guy. Um, there's one more. Ah, Thich Nhat Hanh. Anything by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, it's incredible. All of these incredible teachers are telling you, you change yourself and the whole world changes around you because one, you're letting go of past stories that we possess yeah. about ourselves and others. And you'll be surprised how much perception affects the world around us, right? As I've said before, they're like different filters. Religion is one of them. Our identity is another one. And our identities are so colored and speckled, right? And we have a lot of histories of collective trauma, Mm. collective suffering, our own personal families also have, you know, generations of suffering because we've all come from so many different, there is not a single person that does not have some kind of suffering to be reckoned with. And I think that is a universal truth. I don't believe in universal truths, as I've mentioned on my TikToks before, but universal truth, the one thing that we can agree on is suffering exists. And pain's here. Pain is here. Yeah. And also, I love what you said about it really just takes like one, you know, a tornado. It just takes like one step out, like one step in the right direction. What's the next best thing that you can do? I was listening to Arthur Brooks, his podcast, who he's a writer for The Atlantic. I think it's The Art of Happiness. I think his podcast has a different name now. But he was interviewing a psychotherapist who she was saying before she – you know, give someone Lexapro, someone who's been 
suffering, depressed, down in the dumps, she asks them like three questions. These are the three things that need to be fulfilled in like an adult's life for not happiness, but contentment. So like just staying staying in the middle of the boat, right? Um, what What does your community look like? Are you sitting alone in a room and you're not around anyone else who's helping out? Who are those people? It, or are you sitting with, with people who are metaphorically poking holes in your boat or like trying to bring you down? So what does your community look like? Because people need people. Two, <laughs> are you having fun? Do you have any enjoyment in your life that is specifically for delight that you don't have to get better at, that you don't have to that you don't have to perform for, that you don't have to achieve for, which is such a countercultural thing, especially now. We we try to Gen Z and millennials, we try to like monetize our hobbies. <laughs> like what what is wrong with us? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you're allowed to read a comic book. You are literally allowed to do a puzzle and not post about it and care about how many likes you get or making money off of it. It's crazy. So are you having fun? And like are you making time for fun? And three, do you have a life purpose? Do you have a reason that you get up in the morning? Do you have a reason to to be? Do you have a reason to exist here? Whether that is a religious practice that you believe in, what is that purpose? And I would also love to say, like, none of those things are your job. Isn't that funny? None of those things are the number in your bank account. Because last time I checked, no one's going to read your bank statements as a eulogy. So I think that, like, learning that like you need people you need to love yourself and have fun and you need to have a purpose you have like I personally I don't believe in accidents I think that humans are really good at messing things up um I think that we mess up things all of the time just because we are inherently um I stray away from the word evil we are just inherently not smart until we've been taught to be smart or until we have some guidelines. Um, and I think that comes from a place of a lot of trial and error, um, a lot of humility. I, I love what you were saying about these books that you've read, that there's a common thread there. I remember, because like I said, I personally come from a very Christian, pretty religious, non-exploratory background. And the first time I listened to Ram Das was the worst day of my life thus far. And it's interesting because I met Jesus through words that Ram was saying. And it's like he doesn't really identify as a Christian, but I do believe that like my personal, my higher power, my Jesus, my Christ was speaking through him. And like that, like I said, it was the worst day of my life. I remember exactly where I was. I was on the highway. And it like I literally have never been in that dark of like, a tornado, a spiral, um, for a lot of different reasons. But whenever you can take, like you were saying, you you go to these Catholic masses. First of all, I'm not Catholic, and I freaking love mass. <laughs> like, I think it's the most, like, beautiful, intricate, sacred space that a lot of the time we don't have in our culture. Um, and if I, if, if I may critique our culture, which – I don't need permission to do that. I do it all the time. We, so little things are sacred. So little things are holy. It, a lot of things are a defamation. And I think that if we can get past the hurt, if we can get past the all of the the pain and trauma that institutions have collectively caused, and, and I'm filtering myself here, um, 
When you can admit that there are people that know more than you, that's the most fertile ground to grow on. When you also have the confidence to say, I hear you. I don't fully believe you, but I hear you. And I think that there's something, I think there's something there. And then you allow yourself to explore. Um, so which which prompts my next question. Is there a particular a particular book or a particular teacher that has really guided you to your to where you are now, which I'm talking to a girl that like has studied philosophy and religion and and I'm like, oh man, her reading list is probably <gasps> a secret behind my my reading list. I will tell you though is I cannot sit down and read a book from start to finish. I am probably one of the most erratic people. I really want to share this with people because I think too often we're intimidated by the pages of a book because we're like looking at this thing and being like, ah, it's like. 30, 50 pages. I can't get through this. Right. And I really want to share this. Um, a really important component of any spiritual practice comes down to your reading. That's so true. A really big part. And I am a terrible reader, right? I pick up a book, I will read two pages, close it, and find a different one, or get up and or scroll through TikTok. Squirrel brain. Not your fault. Right? <laughs> it's so hard for me to stay focused, but I I really do try. And sometimes I will put myself in situations where I can't do anything else except sit and read, right? I'll sit on a train. That's a great time. Um, I yeah. go out of my way to make space for that because reading is really important. It introduces you to new ways of thinking. When you don't have a person mm-hmm. that you can bounce ideas off of, a book is your best friend. Right. And there's probably a reason a publisher published it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> not to not to being not not to say that uh that there are bad books with bad advice, but whenever you're whenever you're scrolling on a screen all day, there are some people that give real bad advice. There's some and and I'm even thinking in terms of like, you know, spiritual teachers or like therapists or like People like just be be careful who you're taking advice from. I mean, this also comes from people in your life too. No one's thought checking anyone. Just just knowing like where you're getting your information from. Um, you were you were saying reading. Sorry, yes. Um, I would definitely say that my go-to author is still Thich Nhat Hanh. He passed away last weekend. Oh my. Um, and he was 95, so he's lived a really long life. He's a Buddhist monk mm-hmm. who was from Vietnam. He endured the entirety of the Vietnam War and was eventually exiled in part because of it and ended up building a monastery in France Mm -hmm. and also is an interfaith scholar. And he's really been able to bring Buddhism to the West. Mm -hmm. And something that I really admire about him is this capacity to understand how to communicate with people in the Western world and teach these concepts in a way that have never been taught before. Mm. And so he really is a mindfulness leader in helping us to understand the power of the present moment in embracing our suffering and Mm. also being able to transmute that suffering Mm. and how to move forward from that and how to really make the most of every single day. And Mm -hmm. something that I think a lot of us who adopt spirituality and understand, um, you know, we, we, a lot of us take on spirituality because we're trying to seek solace for our suffering yeah, and then don't move forward from that. But something that was really important for him was 
fighting for the rights of other people, doing something right? about in it. doing something about allevi- alleviating the suffering of others. Mm. And there's a there's a quote by Osho about how suffering like joy is not something that you can celebrate on a lonely island. You have to share that joy with others. It's so good. So, right, it's it's beautiful to kind of see these spiritual leaders engaging in activism and doing something they care about, right? Yeah. Because a lot of the Western spiritual leaders we see are very apolitical. Mm-hmm. It's almost a bit indifferent because a lot of Western spirituality kind of revolves around the concepts of avoiding suffering yeah. or trying to cover it up and mm-hmm. pretend like, okay, because I'm spiritual, suddenly everything is great now. Yeah. Um, my life is a fairy tale. Which and is just as toxic as like the opposite of sweeping it under the rug and pretending like it doesn't exist. It's just as bad. It's just as bad. It's just as bad. It's hurtful, right? It causes more suffering. I, I've, I've fought a lot of people on TikTok over the, the concepts of good and bad. And I remember you commented once, there's an importance in identifying people not as good and bad, but as helpful or unhelpful. Mm-hmm which I really love, right? To move away from these generalized terms of good, bad, right? Yeah. Good, evil. Yeah. Um, it doesn't help us. And I th- I think the best way – I hate I hate the old – do you feel this way? I'm 26 and the older I get, all the cliches become true and it makes me really mad because I'm like, I thought I, <laughs> I thought that I was figuring this out all alone and I was so smart. No, I'm not. There's so many people that know better than me, and there's a reason a lot of cliches are cliches, but the best way out is through. And I have learned that when you sweep things under the rug or when you paint someone as good or bad or when you're just like, I'm just moving on and I'm, I like, am in, for more or less like ignoring or like not willing to be taught, like there's a God and I'm not him, her, they, them. <laughs> there is a, there is something that's bigger than me the situation is bigger than me. I need to be at a place of humility where I am willing to learn from it. And I am willing to be a sponge. Not even a sponge, more of a, more of like a, a, what are the things that you like drain beans with? Uh, like a colander, a colander. Yeah, like I should be a colander. And like I should understand that like something doesn't have to be all good or bad. There can be gray and purple and green and all of these different colors. And like the human experience, uh, what is it? Uh, chew the chew the meat, spit out the bones. You know, specifically with uh, with like relationships, with parenting, with friendships, with peers, with with religion. Um, painting something as good or bad, and and if you can say, was this helpful to me or was this harmful to me? Because also. Like I said at the end of the end of the day, I think we are all inherently selfish. We're all inherently hurting. We're all inherently um, in need of guidance, and we're all also capable of those things, which is cool because it's all about the power of choice, the power of of choosing to love rather than choosing to hate. And I think that whenever you can make that decision on a daily basis, it, it's a place of surrender. Um, and I know. Many people are accustomed to the Alcoholics Anonymous programs, the the NA programs, the um, programs that um, help people with substance abuse. The Serenity Prayer, uh, whether you're religious or not, is in in you know I I can link it below if if whoever's listening hasn't heard it. But even if you can like surrender, I think that that is the most. Um, 
you feel them it's interesting when you feel you feel the most powerful when you feel the most weak when you're like allowing yourself to be a student of the universe you're allowing to not you know twist the arm of fate at all and just be like what am i willing to learn here like what am i willing to stop controlling and just start confronting yeah, there's something to be said about the power of surrender and hope. Because yeah. I think we deeply, deeply underestimate these things as superpowers almost, right? Because hope hope kind mm-hmm. of transcends into life purpose, into giving us a meaning to move forward, something that helps us wake up in the morning every day. And then surrender is what helps us to keep going. Mm-hmm. Hope and surrender are actually like two sides of the same coin, yeah. I would say right? Yeah. How like surrender, like hope is like, hope is being able to move forward without even knowing that it's possible that like, Mm. you know, maybe it's, you know, it's moving away from the possibility that it, that it cannot happen, right? It's the possibility that it can happen. And then surrendering to it gets you to continue with that hope. That's so good. Right. The power of spirituality is the hope and the surrender and the trust in a unknown higher being, higher power. And yeah. More importantly, even is the is the trust in others in community that gets us right because mm-hmm. something a big component of Alcoholics Anonymous as you, as you mentioned is that capacity for community. Mm-hmm. You know how like you see people on the internet who are like, don't share your aspirations and your goals, like you know keep them to yourself and yeah, because you know someone's gonna like put bad energy all over mm, it. Sounds like gatekeeping to me. If people who are supposed to be your friends are not in support of you, they're not your friends. Mic drop. Find people, allow yourself to share your aspirations and find people who have those same aspirations to push you forward together. And if those people are not in support of the good that you are wanting to exert into the universe, leave. Because I promise you there are there are people. There are people out there that are looking for exactly what you're offering, exactly what you're exuding. You just have to have the hope and the surrender to do that. That is so important. If your friend group is like dragging you down and you're like, no, like maybe they'll get better or like maybe I just need to – no, you don't need to – you don't need to – you can't change another person. Hate to say it. Hate to be the one – if no one's told you, you can't change other people. You can influence other people but you have to fill your cup and you can't help anyone else until you help yourself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I absolutely think that there is so much power in hope. And if we can just make hope cool again, you can only get so much out of uh, venting. And you can only get so much out of being under, which I fully, I fully am all about, like wanting to be understood and understand and like feeling that. But like when you're, when you're all scratching these itches on each other, you're going to start to bleed. So why don't we start like putting band-aids on? Instead of like scratching that itch, gossip or, you know, substance abuse, whatever those things are that are harming you and harming you collectively. Um, I believe it's Miss Elizabeth Gilbert, who is one of my personal heroes. It's my understanding that the health of the universe is reliant on the health of each individual in it. And the more that each person can find health and like well-being in 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 themselves it's going to be like a domino effect or it's going to be oil and water and you're going to recognize really quickly who is not on your team who is not wanting to be helped because every i i do have the optimistic point of view that 
every person's capable of change. And every every single one of us, if you were born on this earth with a soul, you are you're worthy. You are capable of change and you are deserving of contentment. You are deserving of it. And whenever you can accept that in yourself, the more that you start to see it in the world around you, right? Okay. So close closing out here a little bit, something that I that I love that I love to ask people is if you could tell your younger self anything, what would you say to young Victoria? I would risks are good. Risks mean that you are on the right path. Mm. Because when you make mistakes, when you do difficult things, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. The journey is more important because at least you did everything you could to take that risk and go down in friggin' flames. Mm-hmm. Resilient, you, you develop resilience. You learn that the power of hope gets you really, really far. And it takes you to places you didn't even believe were possible. Mm. I think there is a lot of value in really listening to other people and really only taking what resonates. Like really, really learning how to develop that relationship to your body by which you can feel what advice Mm -hmm. is for you and what is not for you. You'll know when you start to develop that practice of listening to your body. When when advice feels right, it will feel right. Because there is a difference between like your intuition and like a uh, – there's always going to be like an inner critic or like the voice of like someone that isn't you in your head. I believe that there is there's a force of evil in, in this world and, and on the side of eternity and, and he is very cunning and, and intelligent. So that's the, the voice in my head. Um, that, that critic in my head versus like my intuition, my, like the string that's connected to my personal higher power, this personal source of wisdom. Um, because like, for example, you know, you could be walking down the street and as like a white woman, I see like a black man and I'm like, oh, I'm scared. You know, like my intuition is telling me that I need to like run away. And it's like, I kind of think maybe that was more like social conditioning or that was like kind of like a lie that I've been taught. That's like an evil, incorrect thought. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not my intuition. That's not my intuition, right? Something that I have started doing um, whenever I encounter a new person, I body check right after I leave them. Your body, what's the literally the book? I think the body keeps scores somewhere in my office. Your body doesn't lie. Yeah. It, it's just – it's not lying to you. It never is. If it's hungry and if it's growling, guess what? You're hungry. If you're sleepy and your eyes are falling asleep, you're you're sleepy. Um, If someone makes you feel uncomfortable, your body's not lying to you. I think that it's just – it's so important to to know thyself uh, so you can know and love other people. Absolutely. Oh, my word, Victoria. Mm. Like we said, we could probably talk for a really long time um, and we probably will after this. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your your story and your your all of your insights today on Cageless. Can you tell us where we can where we can get in contact with you, where we can ask you questions, where we can find your work? You can find me on my socials at Victoria.Therese on TikTok and on Instagram at Victoriella. And you can also find me on my website at 
Gray and Gray, which the website link is G-R-E-Y, G-R-A-Y dot C-A because I am proudly Canadian. So genius, genius. And I will have all of those resources linked below. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next time on Cageless. If you enjoyed or learned anything from today's episode, I want to hear from you. Shoot me a text or call to 903-871-5092. It's completely free and anonymous if you choose. You can also shoot me an Instagram DM, that's in the show notes, or follow along with the Cageless newsletter. And don't forget to be kind to yourself today.